podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Almost asleep from having to wait for Guy from waking up from being asleep. Yeah, I mean, that's just the world we live in where Guy is the, the organ grinder and we are the mere monkeys uh, in this situation. But we are here, so we're going to talk. And we're going to start, Carl, <clears throat> with news that broke late on Saturday, which was weird. Also weird that it came from Atlaw and Sam Wallace, who are not Liverpool reporters. Liverpool were in talks with Jörg Schmatke to become their new sporting director. This gentleman has previously worked at a number of German clubs, most recently Wolfsburg. Then things got a little murky because most of the reporting, or actually all of the reporting from Germany came out that it was likely to just be a short-term thing, a kind of consultancy basis. And Dominic King reported last night that that wasn't true, that it's a three-year contract. But the German side are still claiming, no, this is merely a consultancy basis. He's just coming in to help out for the summer. So we don't fully know what the situation is yet. What was your thoughts upon hearing this news? I mean, this guy was retired. He wasn't on anybody's list, I don't think. And it's quite the jump from what he has done that, you know, Hanover, Cologne and and Wolfsburg, with with respect to those clubs, to coming to somewhere like Liverpool. So, um, to be perfectly honest, my my first thought upon hearing this was because um, I was sat on a beach, basically, and I was like, "I, I don't really want to look into this right now. Um, so I actually didn't start looking at this until about two days later, and I've seen all of this kind of all all at once now. So I, I completely ignored it those first couple of days, and then uh, got back yesterday and sort of started at the beginning when those first reports came through and worked through them. And like you say, it does appear to have, even in the sort of two, three short days it's been, changed at least a couple of times. The the narrative or the, the reasonings or the timings or, you know, everything about it really seems to have already switched up once or twice, which is normal, you know, as things become, um, you know, more, more found out or more spoken about behind the scenes or whatever. But there's definitely a bit of a a clash, let's say, between certain angles of, of the reporting. Um, mm. I, I'm not actually that surprised about the differences in opinions from given where they are so i wonder whether it's you know germany side and and schmadke's sort of contacts over there are sort of asking him and he's like i'm not you know planning to come back or anything like that so for them from their perspective it's is the shorter period of time and yet for england maybe liverpool are trying to sort of convince him to actually take up the role on a more permanent basis so the briefings or the information that's coming out there is that it still talks for a longer term deal it would make 
logical sense, let's say, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's absolutely the case anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair. It, it does, a couple of things about this concern me. If it is a three-year deal, that means his contract expires the same year Jürgen's contract expires. And I would expect that Jürgen leaves in 2026. I don't think he'll extend past this contract. If your sporting director and your manager are leaving in the one summer by your choice, by when you've contracted them, I think that is a really concerning sign. That shows a lack of long-term planning. Because ideally your sporting director should be picking your manager. And yet we're going to find ourselves in a situation, once again, where the manager's probably going to come first. And if the manager has involvement in picking a sporting director, that also concerns me. It does seem like Jürgen has very much had a strong hand in this. Mm. And the reporting around it is that he's an ally of Klopp, someone that's going to be more of an administrator than actually running the show, which is just a consolidation of power by Jürgen, who already had too much power at the club. And that, to me, is the tail wagging the dog. This is the poacher hiring the gamekeeper, as Trev Downey put it. <laughs> I, I don't like this at all, Carl. If this guy is the, the, the long-term, is the long-term, three years is long-term in football, this guy is the pick that concerns me greatly because he's not an elite sporting director, and he never has been. He's good. He's good at getting average clubs to become good clubs. But he's never done anything at the highest level of the game. And in truth, if we look at his time at Wolfsburg, there's far more bad signings than good signings. He just got really lucky once with a managerial appointment where he brought in Oliver Glasner, who elevated them massively, got them into the top four, and then walked away to join a team that didn't qualify for the Champions League that season because of Jörg Schmatke. And that worries me. He's fallen out with managers everywhere. He's fallen out with those above him everywhere, bar Wolfsburg. But even at Wolfsburg, there were big clashes over certain appointments. He want, he, he appointed Florian Kofeld to replace Mark van Bommel, who he didn't want. And then he wasn't allowed to keep Kofeld, and they appointed Kovac, who he didn't want. And apparently there was big clashes over that. So he's very, very divisive in how people talk about him. But I'm yet to see a single person from the German media come out and say, this guy's best in class or anything close to it. Yeah, I think, you know, if this is going to be the appointment, I think we we not just have to accept, but we will know outright that this is not a, a sporting director appointment in terms of the usual structure. Uh, in terms of the sporting director being below the literal board of directors and then the, the club team managers below that. That's not really how this is going to play out. This would, I think, be uh, the case of the recruitment team, the uh, data analysts and all the rest of it being sort of one side of the recruitment ins and outs um, process. And then on the other side, flattened, if you like, Klopp and Linders and then the sporting director would actually really be in place as the facilitator for them. Um, so whether that's the go-between and then he deals with the 
actual agent side of things, which you know obviously Klopp and that have, have no particular interest in doing. Um, but he, I don't think he would be heading up any department. I think that that would be my assumption on this. Um, yeah. As for whether that concerns me, I'm, I'm I'm in two minds, and like I said, this is like pretty early days for me considering it because it's sort of all at once here since I've actually looked into it. But I don't initially think that the managerial track record is an issue for me because we're not expecting that he has to appoint a manager, especially, like you say, if that's a three-year thing. And there's two ways to look at that line as well, whether one, uh, FSG by then think they may have taken a step back, whether that's by minority ownership or an outright sale or you know something else down the line three years from now could could well be the case, right? Or secondly, they think that they want Klopp to continue as he is, and at that point in three years, like you said, maybe they feel he's unlikely to renew, and at that point they'll need a clean break. So maybe a year beforehand they'll put in place an actual hierarchy of sport and director and just a new head coach, because it'll be impossible for Liverpool to continue in the manner that they are at the minute when Klopp leaves. Like, whoever comes in, it cannot be the same. It has to be uh, a change, it has to be a refresh, it has to be a, a different structure and probably... Um, organisational culture to be perfectly honest so in that respect it would make sense that someone departs with Klopp and that you then put in a new structure completely but you do still obviously run the risk then of needing two appointments to work really really yeah. high up and that's not necessarily the playing staff and the, the playing strategy so much would, would be that much of an issue but making sure that that summer didn't lead to a massive massive drop off or need another two-year turnaround or something like that, it, that would really be a challenge, I think. It would. And the problem is you're, you're not just going to be looking for a sporting director and uh, a new manager. You might also be looking to have to fl- build out the structure again. Jurgen walked into a situation where Michael Edwards was in, in the club. A Fallows, Barry Hunter were within the club. Ian Graham was within the club. <clears throat> Ian Graham is now gone. Michael Edwards is now gone. The reason for that, for both of those departures, is quite clear. Harry Hunter and Dave Fallows, who knows if they get on with this guy, they might go. There's been some talk of Fallows going. So, I mean, we're seeing the structure that built the great Liverpool team that won the European Cup and the league disintegrate. And yes, Jurgen is still there, but Jurgen was, while obviously a huge part of it, he was part of it. He wasn't the whole thing. And it really does concern me that you're asking a new sporting director to come in and immediately have to either appoint the manager or work with a manager who's just been appointed and who will feel like they're just fresh in the door. Who's this guy coming in after me? I'm the one in control here. I don't like this at all. And I think the other factor here as well If we have another season like this season, if next season turns out like this season, where, you know, we're ninth midway through the season, real questions would need to be asked about Jurgen Klopp's future at the club. He gets away with this season because of what he's done in the past, but there can be no doubt that this season falls at Jurgen's feet. His refusal to plan accordingly and manage his squad properly Calls this mess. But now, if there's no sporting director to keep him in check, and Mike Gordon is in his pocket, 
Who is it that's going to challenge him? Who is it that's going to say, right, Jürgen might have to go here. He might have to look in a different direction. Because this guy, Schmatke, if he's coming in on on Jürgen's say-so, he's not going to be the one to say it. So it really does does concern me. We saw this happen at Arsenal. Where David Dean left. Enger took huge control. And Arsenal went from a team that competed for the title every year and went deep in the Champions League multiple times, got to a final once, to a team that finished fourth and won the FA Cup and claimed fourth was a trophy and just existed and became a bit of a laughing stock. And truthfully, I think that's what our future is going to be. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Because I don't think Jürgen's ruthless enough, and if he doesn't have anybody who's going to question him on things, we're going to be seeing players continue to get extended and used well past their best, well past the point of being useful. I mean, look at the current situation. He still wants to keep James Milner. Mm. He tried to push hard to keep Bobby Firmino. Those players had to say, I'm leaving. Otherwise, he would be renewing them. And nobody was in position to stop that. Forced the Henderson contract upon the club. Been two years of utter dreck at ten million a year, and we've got two more years of it to come. And knowing Jurgen, he'll try and extend them beyond that as well. Unless Henderson says no, I want to go to Sunderland or I want to go do something else. Like that's just not a way to run a football club, not a successful football club. And I've seen people say, "Oh, well, badly run clubs can win things as well." Yes, they can if they can throw huge amounts of money around. We can't do that, which means we can't afford to be a badly run club. We were the best run club in the world for a few years. We were the model, the one everybody looked at. Other clubs publicly said, Liverpool are the model we're trying to copy here. The whole success of Brighton in the last couple of years is because they basically took the Liverpool model and copied it. Now, they made one significant tweak, which is rather than having Ian Graham and his team in-house... They have their version external, working directly for Tony Bloom. But the model is the same. It's just that they execute it better than we executed it because somebody stuck the roar in and stopped Michael Edwards doing what it was he wanted to do. I'm very concerned about the future of this club. And if we've gone for this retired sporting director over someone like a Tim Steedten, who's mid-40s, super highly rated, has had a very good time at Leverkusen 
an incredible talent spotter and could have come in and brought us back to where we were with Edwards because he had a similar approach to Edwards. Or we've gone for Schmatka over a Christoph Freund who's had exceptional success in the Red Bulls system. That really does concern me. We've replaced Michael Edwards with an internal appointment who wasn't ready for the job, who's then left after a year. And now, rather than going out and seeking the best in class, getting in someone because Jürgen wanted to work with him? I'm sorry, that's just not how you run a football club. On the flip side, if it does turn out that this is a summer-long appointment, let's say, to get in some additional help for Julian Ward for the the summer and maybe to get a couple of deals done which are you know just forward looking into next season or you know gets us across the line for the end of the transfer window and maybe there's someone else that they're looking at on a more permanent basis do you see that as a positive yeah i mean i mean the information i have is that julian moore was asked to stay for the summer and declined his contract runs out on june on june 30th yeah and he was asked to stay beyond that and he declined because he's just desperate to leave. But like, he, he resigned in November. Mm. How are we in, in May and still stumbling about like this? This is ridiculous. This is not the, the hallmark of a well-run club. If it is a case where he's only in as a consultant to get deals done, where he's going to be kind of the negotiator of transfers, then that's fine. It would concern me as to who's picking the players he's going to be buying. Because it's not Julian Moore, it's not Ian Graham. It's very clearly Jürgen and Pep. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm not really sure I would trust... The only thing I think we can hope from that regard is if, like, let's say the the analytics team are putting forward potential names and then, you know, Julian... Uh, sorry, Julian. Klopp and... Linders then get to kind of nod or, or shake their heads at each one in turn kind of thing, rather than them identifying people and then the sporting directors of the summer go out and do the deals because then there's no real place there for the analytics team whatsoever to, to have a big input as such. So I think that they exactly. have to be the starting point at the very least of the list that we looked at. Yeah, because that's, that's how we've been run. There's already been occasions, clearly, where the analytics team have been ignored on certain things. Yeah. Um, last summer would be a prime example of that. But uh, look, it, it we'll just have to see how it plays out. As I say, <clears throat> conflicting reports about whether it's three months or whether it's three years. It, if it's three years, though, it really will concern me. The bigger factor is is the long-term picture of both of them being out of contract in the same summer. What what does that mean yeah. for the future of the club? You know? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we have a couple of questions in the Discord. So we have one from Harry Welchy who wanted to, to pit us against each other. Now, initially, he gave you a Rafa Benitez 11 and me a Jürgen 11. Now, we've decided to swap those. So you will pick a Jürgen Klopp 11 Rules are you can only pick players based on their form under the respective manager. It can be from any point in the manager's careers. So you can pick someone from Chelsea when Rafa managed there, but you only get their form while he was there. Meaning you could pick Jordan Pickford in goal if you want. That would be for me, and I have not picked Jordan Pickford, which will be a surprise to nobody. 
the 11 is based on their peaks. So you can have someone from any point. So you can have Mines, Dortmund and Liverpool. I'm going to guess, and this is just a guess now. <laughs> I'm going to guess there's no one from Mines in this team of yours. I, I have to nod along in resigned fashion. You are absolutely right. right well, I've got basically Valencia, Liverpool, Inter, Napoli, Chelsea, Real Madrid, some random team in China, Newcastle. Well, Newcastle came first, then the random team in China, and then Everton is basically what I'm picking from. So I have my 11 here, and I've also jotted down uh, some squad players just to ram home the advantage that Rafa's had. This is actually spectacular, some of the players he's worked with. But I will let you start. Oh, that's very Um, good Want to give me your goalkeeper? What 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 formation have you gone for here? I'm still deciding my formation as we go, based on who I'm up against with parts of your team. Okay, do you have a back four or do you have a back five? I have a back four. Give me your goalkeeper and back four then. Uh, Alison Becker in goal, unsurprisingly. Um, yeah. Robin Wiedenfeld was fine, but he's, he was not elite or you know one of the very 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 best. So I think that's normal. Um, I'm going for the peak fullback years here of Trent and Robbo, obviously. Uh, I was actually never that much of a big fan of Marcel Schmelzer. He was quite good at the overlaps and the driving runs from deep, but never quite technically good enough for my liking. Uh, Lucas Piszczek at right back, I did like very, very much at Dortmund. But Trent is, you know, a class above, I think. That's that's fair to say. Uh, so fairly easy there. Centre-back, uh, Virgil van Dijk, probably the best centre-back I've watched regularly. Um, probably any any time in my, in, in my journalistic career, I would say. Uh, certainly around that, that pre-injury peak uh, a couple of years there. I don't think anybody touched Van Dyke, So he's an easy pick. And then I've gone for, alongside him, the earlier Dortmund iteration version of Mats Hummels um, before he and Nevin Subotic basically decided to end their careers like within a couple of game weeks of each other, I would say. They yeah. just lost all mobility and movement and everything. But Hummels was great. Aerially really dominant, very strong, excellent at playing out from the back, moved into midfield really well. Uh, obviously a, a big leader in that team as well, so I've gone for him. Uh, I would say Nevin Subotic deserves just a little bit of relief on the fact that his career did just sort of go from this guy's great to Jesus Christ how's he a footballer because his knees basically just gave up on him whereas with Mats Hummels it just sort of seemed to be oh I don't really care anymore um but yeah that, I mean that's a phenomenal defense and I do I've always thought if there was one player just one from his Dortmund team that he could have brought it probably would have been Mats Hummels I think Matt's next to next to Virgil would have been fairly spectacular, and you know, with, with a lot of the stuff we see that other centre back next to Virgil has to do, such as carrying the ball forward. It, like you said, it's something that Hummels was, and he was outrageously good at it. He, he was ridiculously good at it. Right, my back four. You, you have me beaten in the back four. Oh, that's a good. Um, I've got Petr. Now I'm going to whoop your ass in midfield. I'm just telling you that now. <laughs> And I think I've got you beat up front as well, but I'm I'm whooping your ass in midfield. Um, I've got Peter Cech in goal. Uh, I did consider Santi Canizares. I did consider Pepe Reina. 
I think Petacek is is the the best goalkeeper Rafa's had by, by quite a distance as well, if I'm being honest. So I've got him in goal. He managed him at Chelsea, obviously. Um, left back was a bit of a quandary because it's kind of it's the early Marcelo where he wasn't quite the same player he became a little bit later versus late career Ashley Cole. I'm going to go with Ashley Cole because he's a significantly better defender. But not of the cap to Marcelo. Um, I've shunted Sergio Ramos to right back. As you know, I'd never have him in a team as a centre back. He was a great right back for a while. And he did play well under Rafa. Mostly as a centre back. But I think one or two games at right back. So I'm going to go with Sergio Ramos at right back. The more, Much more defensive than yours. Um, I've got Kaladu Koulibaly at centre-back, who came in under Rafa and pretty much straight away was one of the best centre-backs in Serie A. And then I've got Roberto Ayala from the Valencia days, uh, the lone Valencia player to make my eleven. Really? But Yeah, yeah. You'll see why when we go through it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm... Um... I'm going to leave the uh, right-back of Ramos to, to a judgment call there. I don't remember him playing right-back for Real at that point. Uh, mostly because I think from about three games in, Rafa seemed to have no power whatsoever and was being constantly undermined by the players, the media, everything. As soon as Camus Rodriguez came back from injury, basically, sorry, from international duty, injured, uh, and was left on the bench a couple of times. It just seemed like everything was against him. It was a, a very, very quite toxic period, to be perfectly honest, uh, towards him. And it just seemed to have no real authority at all uh, very early on. But I can't complain about any of those other picks. Czech, I think, was better before, but he was still exceptional Oh, definitely. At the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was still very, very good then. And, and like, he went to Arsenal after that and was still one of the better goalkeepers yeah. in the league. So... I'm 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 happy enough with him. Mm-hmm. Um, right, uh, give me your midfield then. You give me your formation first. Okay, I've, I've gone four three three. Right, I'll stick with that then. <clears throat> um, give me your defensive mid. Javier Mascherano. Shit. Okay. Right. My my bench midfield is better than your starting midfield. Let me tell you that now. <laughs> um, right. I'll go with Fabinho as my holder for, obviously, his peak Premier League, Champions League couple of years there. That's fair. I'll just give you my two eights. Yeah. And you can acknowledge then the superiority of my midfield. <laughs> I've got Steven Gerrard mm. and I've got Luka Modric. Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> and just just to give you a flavour of what I could have gone with, I could have had Jabby Alonso. I could have had Tony Cruz. I could have had Frank Lampard. Late career Lampard, but still a good player. But I could have had Mateo Kovacic. So, you know, I, I could have had Ruben Baraja. So, you know, m- midfield is very much an area in which I have kicked your ass. Um... <laughs> But you do have the superior defence, so I will give you that. Okay, well, I, I think given you are going to, let's say, outplay me in midfield, I'm going to go for a little bit of both, and I'm going to go for a little bit more aggression in one of my picks and a little bit more 
playability in the other, so that given I've got a really good defence, I could actually not worry too much about the fact that you will swarm me at times in the middle because of those players around. So as long as I can get the ball back to the defence and then play out around it quicker, maybe that midfield is uh, marginalised a tiny, tiny bit. So I'll go with ahead of Fabinho, Nuri Sahin for a bit of playing, and Ilkay Gundogan is 11-12, 12-13, box-to-box, marauder sort of era. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I do I do love myself a little bit of Ilkay Gundogan. I, I think he is a, a sensational player. He's just... He's so, so smart. Like, you, you watch City play and, like, I wouldn't class someone like Grealish as a very intelligent person. He doesn't need to be because Gundigan's doing his thinking for him and just sending him across the ideas like this is what you need to do now. He's super smart. He's a great player. And Yuri Sahin under Jurgen was he was outstanding. In fairness, like wasn't yeah. he wasn't he footballer of the year in, in the Bundesliga the first he year was, they won the title? He was absolutely exceptional that year. He really was. Um, I would have had Vinaldum in for this, but I think you know Genie and some of the big games didn't have the most touches of the ball. I think that's probably not a midfield you can put him in against. And have that impact. So I'll go with Ilkay for that one. Oh, and right. Bender, Henderson, Wijnaldum. They're my other options, really. So They're not good options, are they? You could have a bit of um, Sebastian Keel. Can I interest you in some Sebastian Keel? Late career Sebastian Keel when he couldn't run. <laughs> he did have one really good season there. Like, I think it was the penultimate season. He came back into the team and he was pretty good. But, you know, we're talking... It was, like that, it was like when Carragher came back in his last season. It was like he'd remembered how to run again and he could move and he was really good for like a, a long run of games having been awful for two years before that. Um, right, into attack. And this will be interesting because you've got some great options. Yeah. But given given Rafa's journeyman would be insulting, but he's kind of had a journeyman career. Rafa has managed Valladolid, Osasuna, Extremadura, Tenerife, Valencia, Liverpool, Inter, Chelsea, Napoli, Real Madrid, Newcastle, uh, Dalian Professional, and um, and Everton. Uh, just one other midfield option that I could have thrown at you if I was feeling mean. Andrew Gomez. Uh, who? Andrew Gomez. Oh. <laughs> God, no. Uh, I could have thrown... Wesley Schneider at you uh, from Inter Milan. I could have thrown Esteban Cambiasso at you from Inter Milan. Dejan Stankovic from Inter Milan. I believe Javier Zanetti 
was still at Inter Milan and playing in midfield. Um, Rafa has just managed ludicrous amounts of midfield talent. Did he not have um, Hamsik as well? Yes, he had Marek Hamsik at <laughs> he had Marek Hamsik at Napoli too. You got, got three benches, which are at, at the very least as good as my starter midfield. You've got Jordan Henderson in your top six. I have eleven midfielders better. Henderson's than him. not in my top six. Curtis Jones has replaced him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's go to the attack. Let's go position by position. Then right. you're going to beat me on the right side. I've got Eden Hazard. Right. Just shoehorned him into the right side. It was his first season at Chelsea, if I'm not mistaken. Now, he had a good season, not a great season. But I went for the talent over yeah. over anything else. So I've got one who can match you, who had the great season but less talent, Henrik Mkhitaryan. But obviously, yes. ahead of him, even, is going to be Mohamed Salah for consistency and elite. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, let's go to the left. I- I'm beating you here. I know you've got two great options. I have Cristiano Ronaldo, and as much as I dislike him, he is he's better than who you've got. Yes, uh, yes, fine. So I'm going with, obviously, Mane as the starter, but 13-14, Marco Royce was obviously another option who was yeah. unbelievably good that season. But again, I think on balance of availability... No love for Kevin Grouskowitz? Um, no, no, actually, no. I, I, put, I put him and Blazikovsky um, both firmly in the uh, uh, training with Eric Meyer category. Um, so there they I, are. I could have gone with Lorenzo Insigne as my left winger either, just you know, just to make that clear. I could have gone with with Samuel Eto'o, who played a little bit on the left. He did yes, uh, yeah. So I've got, I've got uh, I've got some options there. Right, you've got one great, great number nine and one who was great for us. Yeah. You're not beating me with the number nine either. I'm sorry, you're just not. I'm trying to think of your number nines. He's had. I've got four who I think <laughs> can be classified as pretty great. So I'm going to try and guess your four and then which one you're picking. So Cavani must be up there. Fernando Torres would be up there. Benzema would be up there, and did he have Milito? He did have Milito, but you've actually missed one. Missed an obvious one, I'm assuming. Then, um, I would say, I would say, pretty obvious. Yeah, one of the great strikers of the last fifteen years. Go on then. Go in. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, he probably was a great one, yeah. Great goal scorer. Yeah. Um, I've gone with Benzema, who I think is, after Suarez, the best striker of the last 20 years. Would you say what Rafa got from Benzema was better than what Rafa got from Torres? Um, That's an interesting question. Because you're only allowed the form that they had under that manager, according to the rules, which obviously we have changed at least three of them so far anyway. Uh, Benzema scored 28 goals in 36 games that season, 24 and 27 in La Liga. Um, I would say that outstrips what Nando did for Liverpool in terms of goals. And his all-round play, for me, 
has always been significantly better than what Nando was even at his best. That's fair. So my big surprise of the one you left out for Valencia was actually wouldn't fit in this system, but was Pablo Aymar. He was... He was initially going to be in my team, and then I remembered I had Cristiano. I was going to try and force him in on the left wing, and then I remembered I had Cristiano. I also had Kili Gonzalez, who I gave consideration to. Again, that was me. Yeah, I, I, I loved Kili Gonzalez. The one thought, he was basically, for those that didn't see Kili Gonzalez, just think if Andros Townsend was half as good as he thinks he is, he'd be Kili Gonzalez. And if Kili Gonzalez was half as good as he thought he was, he'd be the greatest player <laughs> the game has ever seen by miles. Yes, that was a, an, an intriguing player to watch at times. Um, trying to take on four players at once, memorably, against, I think it was, was Taragotha or someone like that, and like actually ran past two of them before he realised he didn't actually take the ball. Have the ball. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> sensational. I know the clip as well. I do remember him once dropping deep to pick the ball up, clipping it out, like clipping it over the right-sided midfielder and right-back who'd both pushed up towards him, racing down the wing after this ball, which had very clearly curled out of play and back in. And the linesman is standing there with his flag up, like the ball's going out of play. No bother to Killy. A way off down the line, gets the ball, leathers a shot from probably 30 yards on an angle, and then is outraged to be booked, <laughs> despite the fact the game stopped a good 10 seconds before he caught up with the ball. A tremendous man. I'd love to know what he's doing now. I bet it's mental. Whatever he's doing... He's going all in. There's no half measures with Kelly Gonzalez. Um, who have you gone for then as your number nine? Uh, so obviously the, the the three that I noted, one was more of the ten in this team, was Mario Gotze. Um Roberto mm. Firmino is our one, but yes, I will go with Robert Lewandowski. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is, when Klopp got Lewandowski, he was a, a, a ten more so than a nine, and Klopp kind of converted him after the year playing behind Lucas Barrios. So initially, the, the early Lewandowski that Klopp got, I actually think he could have moulded quite well into sort of a Bobby plus because he always had good, you know, the ability to do really good first-time layoffs and link play up. Obviously, he became more of a poacher at Bayern, and that's kind of what people recognise him as. But when Lewandowski went to Dortmund, he had a lot more kind of strings to his bow, I think, than he does now. It was just that he sort of focused in on, I'm just going to score a shitload of goals and that's what I'm going to do. But yeah, I mean, Lewandowski's all-round game back at, at Dortmund was was excellent. Um, I think these are pretty close. I think you've definitely got the better defence. You've got a better goalkeeper. I've got a much better midfield. You get Mo and I get the other two in the front three. You probably get six to five advantage overall in the starting eleven. Mm. Probably go Allison, Trent, Hummels, Virgil, Robbo. Because Ashley Cole was past his best at that point, and Marcelo hadn't really become what he would become. Yeah. Um it's Gerard Mascherano, Modric, and then Salah, Benzema, Cristiano, I think is the front three. 
the, the players I, <laughs> I have listed not getting in. Higuain, Lampard, Bale, Terry, Insigne, Marcelo, Kovacic, Torres from Liverpool, Cruz, Alonso, Agar, Arriger, Ipia, Billy Gonzalez, Pablo Weimar, Ruben Baraja, Edinson Cavani. Rafa has managed ridiculous amounts of elite level players. And you didn't even mention John Carew. I did not mention John Carew. I did, however, have a good chuckle to myself when going through uh, the Valencia teams at the name of John Carew and remembering his ill-fated spell in the Premier League um, with Aston Villa, where he, to be fair, he knocked around for, what was he there, three or four years? Um, He had a couple of decent goal-scoring seasons, but it was all just a little bit funny. Because he missed so many sitters, it wasn't even wasn't even fair to to the rest of his team. Um, and I, I seem to remember him and yeah, him and him and Emil Heskey were at Villa at the same time. And I do remember Martin O'Neill starting both of them, and it being one of the funnier sights the Premier League has seen. So. Um, also in that team, a, a young James Milner, a young Gareth Barry, a young Ashley uh, Ashley Young, um, a shit Gabrielle Bonlahor. There, there was no other version of Gabrielle Bonlahor. But yeah, right. Uh, let's crack on then. We have about twenty five minutes left. So why and W Foodie said. You are the new joint managers of Liverpool. We've missed out on top four. We need a new director of football and other internal changes. You have a budget of one hundred and fifty million to spend. How would you to execute Liverpool two point plan? Um, so that that seems like a budget before sales, because uh, obviously you don't want to do too much in one summer. Mm. I've just jotted down two sales for us to add to the budget, so I. Put down Kelleher and Costa Simicus, fifteen million each, which gives us about one hundred and eighty million to spend. I think that's fair. Fair enough. I do have a question for you, though. Quickly, given the new shape, and given neither Robbo nor Costas really fits the new shape, and one of them will have to leave this summer if we're buying a left-footed centre-back who's also a left-back. Mm. Would there be any part of you that would be tempted to sell Andy Robertson rather than Costas, knowing the following? Robertson is older. Robertson will be bring a significantly bigger fee. Neither of them count as a homegrown player. And Costas is already used to a backup role and therefore won't kick up a fuss. Robbo has been an integral starter since joining the club and might not take too well to having to sit and watch week after week after week. If Newcastle were to offer £40 for Andy Robertson, would you take that over £15 for Costas? Would it make more sense? Um, I don't think I would for 40 I'll be honest. I really don't. Um, and I have two reasons here. One, I don't think it is enough for 
what would basically be a new Premier League rival to take what has been the first team player off our hands. So no to Newcastle doing it. Um, also, I'm not 100% convinced still that this is, this shape stays, in which case we might want to go back to a different way of using the left back. And in that case, I wouldn't want a more defensive one or Costa Simicus to be our options if we want the overlapping, marauding uh, crosser of the ball really high upfield to be back in place. I'd rather that was Robertson because he's better at it. Um, and but he has declined significantly. He has, he has. But so, so could you take the money and buy another attacking left back with that money? I wouldn't buy yeah. one who for for a system that we're not using at the minute. No, that's that's first of all to say. Um, so I think it has to be about either repurposing somebody else or you know going all in and you and you buy the big name. That's fine. But I I would be more inclined like if it was Newcastle for I don't know fifty. 55, probably then you're getting into silly money for a 29-year-old left-back that you have to consider it seriously. Um, I don't think Robertson would be actually that much of an issue squad-wise if he was out of the team. I, I, At least for the first while, I can see him being more the character who really sort of knuckles down and tries to win back and is hard-working and really pushes that new player. So I don't think I'd be concerned from that perspective. But I'm not looking to sell decent players to upgrade a rival for 40 million quid. No chance. The, it, I, I think Robbo might just be in the irreversible decline because of the amount of mileage that's been put in his legs. It's possible, but also if you decrease that 40% or more, then you get a bigger bounce back. Possibly. Possibly. I mean... It, Hasn't worked for other players in the team. Didn't work for Bobby. No. We brought in players to rotate Bobby. It didn't work. No, his decline was his decline. Yeah, but I think that's a lot more injury-related as well, isn't it? He's been out of the team because of injuries rather than just rested for three games out of seven or something like that. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, I've sold Co- Kelleher and I've sold Costas. You, you obviously were on one of your holidays and were, were unable to join me on our first day. Okay. In the role, so um, <clears throat> right. I, I then have marked down that we need. We'll keep everybody else. So we'll keep Gomez. We'll keep Matip. Phillips. Um, we'll we'll sell Nat Phillips and we'll sell Reese Williams and uh, what's the other fellow's name? Uh, Leighton Clarkson. Okay. So that's say another ten million between the three of them. Okay. We'll call them the three Eagles. <laughs> And that's ten million. And if anyone... right, so that gives us a hundred and ninety million to spend. And I think we need a, a a backup goalkeeper. Yep. We need a backup for Trent in that kind of hybrid role. Yep. That you know, right back into midfield kind of role. We need that left footed centre back slash left back. And then we need three midfielders. Holding midfielder and the, the two number eights. So what position do you want to start in? Start at the back, same as always. Okay, goalkeeper then. I would suggest this is a kind of the kind of area where we can pick up a cheap or free goalkeeper because Allison's going to play most of the games. Yeah. You just kind of want a, a solid citizen who <clears throat> you know you can drop in and he'll be okay for a couple of games like Adrian was when he first joined the club. Ideally, I think it would be nice to get someone that would classify as homegrown. Um, 
So I've got a couple of names here for you. Now, we've been over these names recently. I've got David Soria, who's not homegrown, but is the best of the of the options. I've got Ron Robert Zeeler, who is homegrown and is a solid citizen. And I've got Timo Horn, who, from a physical point of view, kind of fits the bill of what we like in a goalkeeper, that kind of bigger, stronger type of of, of frame. Uh, and he will be on a free this summer, but he might be the worst of the three on kind of the last year's form or so. Yeah. I'm open to any other names you might have. Um, I think I would be open to either like a Zeela sort of deal or else maybe look to players who are coming up to the end of their contract next season or the other thing I would consider, and I'm looking at like 30, 32 years of age plus here because I'm thinking like you'd make one of our younger goalkeepers at the new third choice basically if, again, we've spoken about this before, any of them have been particularly good out on loan or progressing uh, in, in training and that. So maybe then they become the Kelleher second choice in another season, two seasons, that kind of thing. Like Petaluga and Davies that and Orzinski, that, that, that core group of young goalkeepers. Yeah. So for now, the other thing you can do is look at sort of the bottom end of the Premier League or other leagues and take their first choice but not great goalkeeper, especially any of the relegated teams, and they come in as your backup. A lot of of top end clubs obviously do this quite quite frequently. Um, I did think Alex McCarthy. McCarthy maybe. I mean, even someone like I know it didn't work for him this season, and he he went back halfway through the year. But like Dubravka, um, someone who has lost their place, haven't yeah. been first choice previously. If you can do a relatively cheap deal for that, and his option is stay at Newcastle where you're not going to play, or stay or come to a new club where. You know, again, you're not going to play, but you might get a few extra games or you might see that maybe Allison has had more injuries over the last couple of years, something like that. If there's a, a relatively low-cost deal to do for £5 million or less, that's where I'd be looking. Yeah. Um, I have seen some people suggest Gazaniga. No. Uh, number one, he's awful. And their main reason seems to be, oh, he's homegrown. No, he's not. He's not a homegrown player. He joined Gillingham at 19 and a half years of age. He did not have his three years under his belt in time. So no, he is not homegrown. Spurs once loaned him out specifically because he wasn't homegrown and didn't count towards the quota and they had too many non-homegrown players. So stop suggesting him to me on Twitter or I'm just going to start blocking you for being stupid. Um, <laughs> he's also utterly terrible. So he's fucking shit. All the way he's shit. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I mean, look. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. 
or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Bravka actually would be interesting enough because he is a, he is a decent goalkeeper. Um, a couple of others think... in that bracket. One one or two we've been linked to before, like Andrew Lunin, who's at Real Madrid, but I assume he'll renew because he does get a couple of opportunities. Yeah, and he's a... do you know what? Though he might get an offer to go somewhere and be first choice. Yeah, he might well because he's really good. Um, who else we got? Matt Ryan. We've seen him before. Not the statue you want, but you know. Someone of, of that kind of ilk, Yvonne Vogel maybe, Fred Rono of Union Berlin, they're all out of contract next summer, so next summer, potentially yeah. deals to, to be done there. Um, Oliver Bauman has the, the size, he's solid. Cohen Castells mm. from Wolfsburg has the size, he's decent with his feet. We, we, you know, Jorg might be able to to swing a favour. Jorg's not um, the job we have. Come on. Well, we're the managers. He's so he's doing what we tell him because he's been brought in to be a puppy dog. Um, the only thing to go against Queen Castiles is obviously he was behind Simon Mignolet in the Belgian pecking order, which you know probably doesn't speak well. It's to the level, doesn't it? Yeah, Sergio Rico. No. No, I know he's not very good. Maybe maybe one bootlace above uh, Gazaniga, but that would be about it. Even Gerbich? Evil Gerbich? Mm. I think we can do better. Bad. I think we can do better for five million, to be honest. Yeah, so do I. I like your Frederick Ronau shout, to be honest. I do. I think he's he's not great by any stretch, but he's reliable. And he's the type of goalkeeper that doesn't really make mistakes. There's sometimes you'd like him to do, you know, to make saves that he doesn't make, but he doesn't do anything stupid. He's he's decent with his kind of focus and his concentration. One is a little bit short is the issue. One other one to consider who is younger than all of these ones, but for a long time has been like, you know, possibly one of the best upcoming ones is Alban Lafont. Yeah. I would take him. Yeah, if, I would go. I would absolutely jump on that. If Nantes go down this season, and obviously they're in the in the relegation zone at the minute with four games left, something like that, and they only paid seven million for him two years ago, and he only has another yeah. one or two seasons left. I'm not sure. So maybe that for a you know a two. Let's go Alban Lafont. I'd be happy to pay like ten million yeah, for him. Let's go ten million for Lafont. Right, we'll go Alban Lafont ten million. Right, let's look then at the hybrid role. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, we've discussed before. Homegrown, free, can play a multitude of positions. He's an option. If Leeds go down, I think Tyler Adams would make a ton of sense. Tyler Adams, Because he, yeah. he also gives you that option of playing in midfield. And he's played a fair bit of right back, both for New York Red Bulls, for Red Bull Leipzig, and for or RB Leipzig. Sorry, they're, they're not a Red Bull team. It's it's racing ball sport. It's all about the lawn sports. Um, fucking spoofers. Um, so he he would work for me. Um, I, you'd probably get him for twenty million with them gone down. But 
Ainsley Maitland Niles is free, so that that and he's homegrown, so that does count in his favour. Yeah, uh, I'm quite in favour of the Maitland Niles deal. Still, I like him for a few roles. You know, right back can be yeah. his principal backup, but I think we'd get a bit out of him for you know, like Milner coming on and making us a flat four across midfield kind of thing. Yeah, and come on in centre mid as the box to box more energy. If you've got players out injured, because that's what we do, have six players missing in the same position, he can probably play the position because he can play all the positions. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to go with him. Yeah. Um. Right, lefty centre-back then. So, the name doing the rounds is Goncalo Inacio. Um, super highly rated, super talented, versatile as well. Has played... Left back in a four, sent both centre back spots. Um, no, sorry, he hasn't played right centre back in a four. He's played right centre back in a three. He's played the middle role in a three, and he's played the left sided role in both a three and a two. The only spot spots he hasn't played a right centre back in a two, which we wouldn't be asking him to do because we've still got Joe, we've still got a uh, Joel, and we've got Sepp Vandenberg who we're keeping because he's homegrown. Um, and he hasn't played right back, but we're not going to want him to play right back. So uh, he'd be one. Um, he's got a €39 million Euro buyout, which we'll say £35 million. Pounds. Um, Piero Hincapié from Leverkusen is another one that would fit really well into that role. You could maybe go big and look at someone like Bastoni, try and tempt him out of Italy. They're, they're the three I'd put forward to you. Do you have anyone else that you'd, you've been looking at for that kind of role? I've been looking at about 700 million people for this role, to be perfectly honest, and it's doing my head in at this point. So I think Hincapia is still at the top of the, the list who I would look at. But, I mean, there's a few players in Portugal who have been put forward I've not really seen as much, certainly not this season. I've not really looked at too much there. So I'm good to go with Hincapia unless you want someone else specific. I do think Inacio would be probably about 10 million cheaper given the buyout. And I do think right now he's probably a bit more refined. Did you say sorry? I missed that. Uh, Goncalo Inacio of Sporting. Yeah. He's probably a little bit more refined and ready for the role. Um, I think he's the better passer as well, which I think will be important because you'll want him progressing the ball. From that side, how um, how do you feel about Ignacio getting into forward positions, overlapping at pace, delivering a cross? Good crosser, good crosser of the ball. Not as good as as Hincapié on the full sprint at crossing. He's a good crosser. I would have more faith in him carrying the ball into midfield areas than I would Hincapié. I think he's more comfortable in that regard right now, and he's definitely the better passer. Like he's. He's borderline outrageous with some of his passing. Maybe that's the better option then. If we're looking at him, Ariel is pretty good and on the ball carrying a little bit better. You know, there's not really much in the way of data there for him this season in terms of crosses, so it's very difficult for me just to look from that perspective. But I'm happy for you to make the judgment. You know what he has on him, which which you'll you'll appreciate. Remember the Stigging Bjornaby. Like just swing it into the box from the halfway line, kind of cross. He he he'll throw the odd one of them in just to flummox people because no one else does that anymore, and it often will work for them. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'll push for him and we'll go go him. 
Uh, 35 million as well. He's 21. It, it's a long-term investment for us. And it's it's right in that kind of sweet spot. We like to spend money. Um, let's do defensive midfield. Um, there's there's a bunch of names going around. I'll I'll give you five, and you you can we we can talk through them. Romeo Lavia, Southampton, nineteen, already more than comfortable at the Premier League level. Uh, will be homegrown. But doesn't actually qualify as homegrown for three more seasons. He's got three more years left as an under-21 player, which is ludicrous. So him, um, Manuel Ugarte from Sporting, who's been linked, Anu Kone, yeah. who I know we both like, Moises Caicedo, if we wanted to you know, really stamp down and, and go for probably best in class. And the other one I'd throw in here, because I think he's an interesting player, and he's not someone I've seen linked, and he's not necessarily, he's not maybe ready to start every single game, but I, I think he, you know, because Fabinho's still going to be here, so he's going to play, uh, still play a lot. So I would be looking at Le Pennant. Johan Le Pennant from Lyon, who I, I think is a really, really promising player. So, I mean, I think that whoever we bring in as DM has got to be capable of playing at least 50% starts, and ideally more, to be perfectly honest, because I, I really think that, especially in the games where we are in a tough game, but but better or dominant, and, and we are higher up field... Defensively, Fabinho struggles there more. On the ball, he does more. And when we're in possession, he does more. He's good. He's still very good with that. But when we're defending in those spaces or higher upfield, I, I really think he's problematic at the minute. Um, so I would want someone who is super athletic, agile, uh, good at covering ground, even can play either alongside or, or slightly ahead of him in the eights if necessary, sort of thing, if we're flat 4-3-3. I mean, even you mentioned Tyler Adams there before, someone like him, I could see being someone who we utilize in that kind of a role so that he can cover multiple uh, tactical eventualities for us. So first and foremost, I want a ball winner here. I really, really do. We need someone who Mm. is scampering and relentless. And Florentino Luis would be also another option, I suppose, because he's a significantly better ball winner than, than most in Europe. Um, throw in any other names you've got yourself if there's anyone else you've thought of I mean again we're looking at a a big long list of mostly people I've crossed off so far for different reasons rather than anyone I've ended up with Um, I I think Kone is still a standout in that regard if we're staying away from the elite clubs let's say to sign people from and for this purposes I think that that's probably the right thing to do Caicedo Kone, one of them. Kone will be half the cost. Yeah. And and I would push for Ugart, but we've already taken one from Sporting. And it's, you know, I know we've done it in the past, but it is rare enough that a club buys two from the one club in the same summer. I'd be happy with Manu Kone. I think he also adds more on the ball than some of the others in the way he's capable of 
carrying the ball through the middle phase. Um, I think he can also play with Fabinho in the box midfield. Yeah. Because I'd have no problem playing Manu Kone on the right side of the two number eights. Yeah. You know, kind of the, the the right side of attacking midfield role, not as an attacking midfielder, but as a an up the pitch ball winner who's pressing and counter pressing and ability to just take the ball off people would create a lot, an awful lot of second chance, uh, second ball opportunity, second ball chances for us. So you know he could be a playmaker with his ball winning. When Jurgen arrived, that was the mantra. Our pressing, our ball winning is our biggest playmaker. Yeah. Manu Kone would fit into that, playing in that role. If, if you know, against some of the poorer teams that are trying to play out from the back, but not really good enough to play out from the back. There's a few of them in the league. You could play him there and play Fab as the six. Yeah. So yeah, I'm happy to go with Manu Kone. Um, I, I, the price I saw mentioned, Carl, was forty million. Would you would you say that's Realistic, or do you think it'll be a bit higher? Uh, I've put down 45, so not too much of a difference, yeah. Yeah, we'll go 45, <laughs> that's perfect. Right, uh, the two number eights then. So, the left-sided role. Uh, Alexis McAllister is the one being most strongly linked. Brian Gravenberch has been linked. Kefren Turam has been linked. Obviously, there's the Jude Bellingham links. I think he'd be better fitted on the right of the the two roles, but he could definitely play on the left in this box. Uh, is there anyone else that you've looked at that you think might might fit it well? I think Alexis is the best fit for how we've been using it. I do as well, and I I don't think there's much need for us to really go back and forth on this. I think Alexis is a, is a great fit. So we've used ninety million so far. Alexis for 60. Would that be fair? Are Brighton going to let him go for 60? Well, I think you'd throw some add-ons in, but I don't think... Like, here's the thing with Alexis, right? He was out of contract in 2024. He signed a new deal with them. Yeah. And is now already talking about leaving. Do, Do you think... Like, for me, if I'm looking at that through the player's eyes... With a year left in his contract, they were probably getting 40 for him this summer. Or losing him for free next summer. Which, because of their model, they can't afford to do. So if he signed a new deal, I have to believe he has an agreement with Tony Bloom that lets him leave for a reasonable fee that's not going to drive clubs away. Okay. Let's go 60 then, and hope... Right, that leaves us 40 million for our last spot. Now, Mason Mount is the one that's been linked. Which, which now, we've, we've said previously we both would prefer, if it was us, a more box-to-box kind of off-ball player who can be more defensive in that role. Yeah. Like, like say, Manu Kone, if we bought another six. But Mason Mount is a purely attacking player. He's a train wreck when the ball goes behind him because he doesn't know what's going on. But it does indicate that Jürgen wants an attacking player in that role. And if we look at who he's played there, Henderson, woeful defensively, Elliot, 
doesn't understand that there's a game that goes on when he doesn't have the ball, when we don't have the ball, and Cody, who's not great defensively by any stretch. So he does seem to want an attacking midfielder there, but I do think we could find a balance here. Someone that can contribute heavily in the attacking phase, while also adding more defensively than those other names. I think Kefra Turam could play that role. Great ball carrier, good passer. Could be a little bit Yaya Toure-esque if he fills out a bit in terms of that final third ability. But I have a preference here. Someone that I think would fit really well. And this season is playing in a double pivot. But prior to that has played in more attacking midfield roles. He's got outstanding delivery. He's a capable goal scorer. He's a good passer. He's someone that I think is only going to get better and better and better. Is it Alexis McAllister again? It's the closest thing I could find to a more dynamic Alexis McAllister. It's Erkan Koku of Feyenoord. This season he's got 12 goals and 5 assists playing in a double pivot. He is undeniably the best player in that Feyenoord team that's going to win the Eredivisie. He is the captain of that Feyenoord team. He brings leadership and a winning mentality. I would be fully in favour of him, and I think you'd get him for the £40 million we have in our budget. But I'm open to suggestions. Because um. I did think Dominic Zabozlai would just be perfect in terms of the attacking side, his delivery, his creativity, his ability to shoot from distance off both feet. He's a dynamic player. He's a really good presser. There's a little bit of a concern with some injuries, but I, I, I just don't see a world in which you get him for 40 million. I think he's going to cost somewhere in that 60 region again. I would prefer him to mount if, if it's just, you know, Liverpool are doing this, whatever. Ergon Kaku, to me, just makes a lot of sense if we're looking for someone that bit cheaper. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be someone from below the top three, four leagues anyway. Uh, so you're looking at maybe France, maybe Eredivisie, Portugal again. Or South America, obviously. We have more markets available to us now. Um, I mean, I've not seen as much of him, so I'm, I'm again, happy to defer to you on this specific player. Um, Arkan Kochku's you know, good reputation, really uh, decent, not just with his, his range of passing, obviously, but ball carrying into space. Not so much past people, but in, mm. into space. I think he, he's a very intelligent player. Um, like you say, I saw him much more as a more advanced player, so I've not seen him as much in a double pivot. Um, I... I Absolutely, 100% think this has to be a player who is defensively capable. I think if you go with an attack-minded player against most teams, you are asking for trouble in this role, in this system that we play. Uh, mm. yeah, it's just needless as well, because that that role doesn't... like that, that role's not the creative fulcrum of the team. We don't need Harvey Elliott to be like a creative, non-stop conduit for play there. It's, it's much more about, one, protecting against the ball, two dovetailing with Salah so that he can make good runs into decent areas and three obviously being the the recovery player or the extra player on the overlap or whichever 
game phase you're in, make an additional runs, basically, whether that's into the box or back to right back or around the outside of the winger or whatever it is. It's a lot of off the ball maneuverability that that role needs to do rather than be, you know, a genius in terms of what they do in possession. So, you know, even someone like Yusuf Fafana, let's say at Monaco, I think he'd probably be in the similar sort of price category um, he's someone who report of twenty two million yeah, for him the other day. Yes, very very low. Um, he's linked with quite a few clubs, but I mean, he's played as a six. He's played in a double pivot. He's played as an eight. He carries the ball really really well. He's a good ball winner. Not not maybe as um, diligent, let's say, at winning all the tackles as someone like Kone can be. But he's also really good at, like I say, carrying the ball. He doesn't mind taking people on at all. That's not something which bothers him in the slightest. He is, I would say, intelligent with his through ball plays. Not, I wouldn't just class him as creative in a Thiago sort of way, but he picks the right passes really well. His weight of passing is really good. Uh, I, you know, someone like that, I think, would be much more, much, much, much more beneficial than a Mason Mount. Yeah, see, I like Mason Mount. I really do like Mason Mount. I think, I think he's a good player, but. I'd rather have that kind of balance where they can do what's needed on the ball. And the benefit of having someone like Ergan Koku is if Trent isn't isn't in the team for whatever reason, yes, we've got we've got Maitland Niles in this experiment who can play that hybrid role and step into midfield, so the shape can stay the same. But he's not going to take on the creative side, the fulcrum side. Whereas I think. Kaku can do that quite quite comfortably. Um, the role he's playing for Feyenoord is quite similar to this role that we're talking about because Gertruda from right back will often step into the central midfield area and Kaku will step forward. And he he's kind of like Ginny in a lot of his defensive work. Like It doesn't show up statistically. When you look at him from a st- statistical point of view, 1.3 tackles per game half an interception a game, 0.6 blocks per game. Like like Ginny, he doesn't have a lot of defensive actions. It's the it's the positioning, it's the tracking of runners, it's the closing down space and blocking passing lanes. That's where he really excels. Alexis is quite similar. Like Alexis doesn't jump out as you as a defensive monster when you look at the statistical side of things. But when you watch him play and you watch all the clever positions he takes up, he's blocking a passing lane, or he's cutting out a ball, or he's simply just able to pick up a second ball. He's always on his toes, always moving, and always three seconds ahead. I think Kaku can be the same, and the one thing I really like about him is that ability to move into that wide right area so Mo can move central and deliver real quality because if Trent is central and Mo is central we still need someone who can deliver the ball with quality into the central areas and he can do that yeah I mean it will be like we've said before important that creativity comes from multiple directions anyway whether Trent's playing or not you can't just rely on one person to do everything um, no, I mean that's it. You can't have a, you can't have a single player centric system, or it breaks down. If they have a bad game, like Trent will have bad games in this role, and he plays better teams. 
who realise, well, like, our left winger needs to track him into midfield. One of the reasons he's having so success, so much success now is because he's stepping in from right back into acres of space. The opposition player who would normally fill that space is having to drop deep because our nominal starting right side of midfielder is pushing further forward. And the left winger is not tracking Trent in. So there's just acres of space for Trenton, but somebody is going to come up with a uh, countermeasure to this. Some, you know, clever manager will just look at it and go, right, well, we'll just we'll alter things here and you'll just go with him and man mark him and that's fine. And we'll let Ibu Kanate carry the ball out of defence. We, we'll allow that because we don't think he's going to hurt us, but Trent will kill us. So you're going to man mark him. Okay, Coach Gould gets the nod then. Cool. Right, so we've got Alban Lafont. So now we've got Allison, Alban, and Pitaluga. either Pitaluga or Harvey Davies, whichever of them earns the role. Uh, we bring in Maitland Niles to be the Trent backup, and, and basically a, a straight replacement for Milner in that utility role. We bring in Anasio to start on the left of the back three. Bring in Manu Kone to be the, the ball winner and the guy who gets it and just gives it to the lads that can play. And then we have Alexis and uh, and Kochku as the um as the two eights who play those more advanced roles. And I'll be honest, Carl, I would fancy that team's chances against pretty much anybody. Yeah, I mean we're not losing depth here. We're not losing I don't think too many physical um, balances, let's say, within the squad, considering most of the ones who, obviously, we've only said we're selling two, we're assuming the, the freeze are still the freeze. So I don't think we're losing out too much in terms of who is second in line, let's say, uh, if a couple of these players are starting in the lineup on a regular basis. So I think there's enough there to, to work with, and certainly an improved season. And again, then you're looking at all of these players really being in a quite a similar age range as well. So it is a new group who are going to be pushing on for, for sort of three, four years together, really. Yeah, I mean, you go from a midfield of Henderson, who's 33 now, Fabinho, who's 29, and Thiago, who's, I think, is he 32 this year? 31 or 32 this year. I think he's 32. He's 32 now, yeah. 32 now, yeah. He's 32 in April. To Kochku, who's 22, doesn't turn 23 till December. Alexis, who's 24, doesn't turn 25 till December. Trent is 24, will turn 25 in October. And Manu Kone, who is 20, 21, 22 actually in a week from today. So you've got revitalized midfield, younger, faster, more robust, shall we say, in the injury prone trio that were there. Um, I, I think, you know, you've, you've basically, we, we, we have regenerated that midfield. And I think, you know, we've, we've upped the quality as well. I mean, look, you, t- Thiago is Thiago, and he's he's better than anyone we're bringing in. But thirty-eight game, well, let's say forty-five games of Alexis is better than twenty-five games of Thiago for your season. 
it will impact your season more to have him play all those extra games. Aku's just a flat. Akutsu's just flat a better player than Henderson is, and Kone is better than the current iteration of Fabinho. So I think we've upgraded. I think we've upgraded and done quite well. Uh, we have run a little bit long, though, so we will leave it there. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? No, um, I think more podcasts on the way, isn't it? We've got, we're doing the Leicester one later this week as well. So if yes. any uh, questions or anything around them, feel free to get in touch. Yeah, Leicester don't deserve an hour. So um, if you've got any questions, uh, put, pop them into the, the AI Scouted chat on discord and we'll try and get to them if not we'll have to vamp and fill some time because leicester city team uh of of now is, is just not worth an hour the last team of a couple of years ago was worth an hour this team is not so uh yeah we'll see you later in the week with that pod for leicester and obviously there will be roles to follow or scouted and or work from Carl. Once he actually does a bit of work, he's he's still in holiday mode at the moment, but uh, he'll be back soon. Back to actual work soon. You know, that'll be nice. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.